Are you hearing this Hart Trophy buzz? I don't think anyone's going to really touch McDavid this year. He's just like, you know, head and shoulders, the, the best player in the league. Now we're really keeping. Here's Fox going to the net. He scores! Oh, baby, what a goal! That's just, that's brilliance. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome into another episode of Our Line Starts, fueled by Duncan. With me today are Dominic Moore and Patrick Sharp. Hey, guys. What's going on? What's up, KC? Dom? What's going on, Sharpie? KT? How's everybody today? We're Post-Easter? Yeah, happy late Easter. How was your Easter weekend, you guys? You've got little ones hiding those Easter eggs. How was it? Sharpie, do you guys have a little Easter egg hunt at the, the Sharp household? We had our little 14 month old running around the, the patio finding eggs and she kind of knew what was going on, I think. <laughs> yeah, our, I have uh, the two daughters at home, seven and nine, so they enjoyed chasing the, each other around with their baskets, picking up the chocolate and the eggs. They got some presents. Uh, we've got family nearby, so they had a nice like afternoon lunch, dinner spread while I was doing the exciting Detroit-Tampa Bay matchup on Sunday afternoon, and then I was able to get home for a nice dinner and a, an evening with the family, so it was a, a good day overall. Nice. That's right. K- KT and I spent with Jonesy the Easter evening at, at the studio as well, so that was a lot of fun. Lucky you. <laughs> <laughs> I think we all got a bit of Jonesy on Easter Sunday. Uh, you know, the man, the hardest working man in hockey. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but guys, let's talk about those games from Sunday because one of the teams that you know we were watching and Dom and I late at night called the highlights for was the Florida Panthers winning that game. So they get into the first place spot uh, for now in, in, uh, in that division in the Central. And you look at the way this Florida Panthers team is playing right now without Aaron Ekblad, the devastating injury to one of their star players out for the remainder of the year yet they're still finding ways to win games and put this thing together. I mean, Sharpie, I'll start with you because this is a team coached by Joel Quenville, and I don't think it's any surprise that maybe his influence has steered this team in the proper direction here at this point in the season. What are your thoughts on Coach Q? Well, I'd agree with you, and it's no surprise to me that's happening in his second year behind the bench. I think the first year he went in there, he was trying to get his bearings uh, back behind the bench, a whole new organization. Every player is a, a new face for him behind the bench, and he had a little more influence over the offseason, and now he's got his team that he wants uh, going in the right direction. Uh, the Ekblad injury you mentioned was devastating to me. Um, I think they can recover and, and maybe move on without him, but, God, he was playing some good hockey, playing in all situations, and a captain of your team goes down like that in such a bad injury, a freak injury, that you got to feel for the team. But you look up and down the roster, uh, Barkov is no longer underrated. He's a top player. Huberto is getting better and better. Uh, they play on different lines, so there's your top two scoring lines. They're getting good production from their bottom six, and if they don't, they're hard to play against. 
Uh, and they're multi they're using multiple goaltenders, which I think is cool. Drieger's been playing well, got the shutout recently. Uh, and the fact that Florida's the top of the division is exciting for me because it's been a while since we could say that about the Panthers. Uh, we got a long stretch drive to go, but I like Florida's chances. And we'll see what happens at the deadline if they can replace Ekblad some way. Yeah, it, you know, it's funny, Sharpie. Like, I, I never played for Joel, but, you know, just knowing how much of a legendary coach he is, you know, even with that, when I looked at that roster before the season, you know, there were a lot of names that, you know, weren't that recognizable, still had these guys that have been part of their core. Uh, but I was not thinking that this would be a playoff team at all, even with, you know, the respect for Joel that I had. But it's just been remarkable. I keep waiting for them to kind of fall off a little bit, but it just hasn't happened. They've continued to truck along. And, and even like you said, with Ekblad going out. But the thing about Quenville is that he's got the best players playing better. And he's got the guys that were maybe, you know, not as well known playing, you know, best they ever have. Guys like Frank Fratrano has got 13 goals scored again on Sunday. And, you know, you've got a guy like Carter Verhege playing fourth line in Tampa, uh, grinding role, 12 minutes a night, whatever he's getting there. And now he comes over to Florida and he's playing on the top line, you know, playing a ton of minutes. And you know how it is as a player. When you get that rhythm, you have a coach that has confidence in you, you know, all of a sudden things start to flow and he's had a phenomenal year. And then you still have these guys like Nolachari that, that are kind of like jack of all trades that can play up and down the lineup. So it is a team that has really come together much more surprisingly than I thought. And I think most of it uh, credit goes to Joel Quenville for sure. So is Joel Quenville the coach of the year, you guys? I mean, you have to look at that. And I mean, he certainly is of, of in the conversation, if not going to get this award this year. Yeah, he'll be in the conversation. Um, who are some other nominees? I'm thinking if the Hawks find their way in. I Jeremy was just going to go there, Sharpie. Yeah, you got to look uh, at Jeremy Carlton too, the heir, the heir apparent. <laughs> wouldn't that be cool to see the two of them there in the final three uh, as nominees? But, but Jeremy's done a nice job with the Hawks. Um, I think we all expected them to be near the bottom at the start of the season, and they've, they've hung tight for most of the year, so uh, credit would go there. Who else is there, Dom? I'm trying to think of the different – I would say LaViolette, you know, should get consideration wash, yeah. for how he's turned Wash around and then – the other one for me that, that uh, comes to mind is Dean Evison in Minnesota. I don't think yeah. anyone expected them to be where they are. They, they, too, have gotten some surprises. You know, Kaprizov coming in and taking the league by storm. Uh, Kakanen and Net is a Calder Trophy candidate as well. And then, you know, they brought in Cam Talbot, who's helped. But I think Evison has really got that group uh, firing on all cylinders, including two wins over Vegas last week. So that, that was a statement right there. How much do you give credit? Like, I'm just looking at the standings here. Colorado is going to be sitting at top of the league by the end of the season. They have all these awesome players. They're a deep roster. Oftentimes, the coach of those top teams gets overlooked. But I think Jared Bednar has done a nice job in Colorado going back two or three years. Mm -hmm. Remember, it wasn't too long ago. I think it was my final year in the league or my second last year in the league. Colorado was the worst team in hockey, and it wasn't even close. They put up a ridiculous number of points. And Bednar was the coach. Well, they've come a long way since then. So sometimes we just look at these teams with all these all-star players and just disregard the coach, but maybe he's in the running as well. Yeah, no, I think that's a really good point because it's all about how you assess what's driving the team's success. And Jared Bednar definitely deserves a ton of credit for the way that team is playing. Obviously, people look at it and say, well, Joe Sackick has built, you know, a, a superstar lineup and they've got 
guys like Makar and McKinnon and Rantanen and, you know, so who couldn't coach that group? But I, I think that's well said, Sharp. He deserves a ton of credit. You know, there's lots of teams that have had star talent that have not performed to, to the level expected. Right. Have you guys ever been in this situation, Dom, I'll start with you, where, you know, you look at the Florida Panthers, you could even put the New York Islanders in the mix as well with losing Anders Lee, but the Panthers lose Aaron Ekblad, one of their emotional leaders, one of their vocal leaders, obviously a leader on the ice, Anders Lee, same thing, their captain. Have you been in a situation where you've lost one of your big leaders and big cogs of the team and the team somehow finds a way to rally around that? Well, definitely. You know, I think back to 2014 where, you know, obviously the the heart of our team, Henrik Lundqvist in New York, goes down with a long-term injury. And, you know, everyone's thinking, okay, the the season's over for this team. Like, you know, this guy is the heart and soul of the team. And, uh, the backbone of the organization and with him out for a matter of months, I mean, there's no chance for the Rangers to have any success. We came together, Cam Talbot was our backup and Cam all of a sudden just put the team on his back and, and stood on his head for those two months and played phenomenal hockey. I think we rallied because we knew we, you know, we had to come together as a group. We couldn't just rely on, on Hank anymore. And I think it really helped us. And then when Hank came back, you know, we were that much of a better team because we had had that experience. And so, you know, I think that there's some teams that will get better through that. Um, But obviously it doesn't look like Andrews Lee will be back anytime soon, but I think there is something about how teams rally and come together when guys go out and figure out a way how to win games anyway. Yeah. I would like Lee to be playing for the Islanders, especially in a playoff series. He does something that he does it better than really anybody on the team, just provides that net front presence. It's tough to replace that, even though, uh, would Barzell have five points the other night playing yeah. with uh, Leo Komarov on My his way? <laughs> so he's been doing pretty well. I look like back ridiculous career, highlight reel goals, all three of them too. <laughs> like all of them are like ridiculous. Like he Let doesn't score any... Let me try this, a deke, like four defensemen going through. I mean, everything, he did everything. Even his assists are like that. Like he has no <laughs> garbage goals. They're all highlight reel. And then even his assists are like end to end past the Leo. Leo, <laughs> Leo actually made a beautiful pass Sharpie to Everly on uh, that first goal the other night. So uh, it's amazing though. This guy yeah. is like ridiculous. Off the rush there through the seam. I remember, uh, yeah, maybe Barzell's doing those types of things now because he doesn't have lead. He's got to up his game a little bit. Sometimes it can work in a positive that way as far as the injuries go. We lost Kaner down the stretch one year, uh, but we knew we were going to get him back around the playoff time, first or second round. So we were able to just kind of set our sights on the short term, withstand, get into the playoffs, maybe win a few games, and then we're going to get our guy back. A couple of years prior to that, um, 2012 Jonathan was out with a concussion for the the second half of the season and and uh, you guys know how those concussions can be sometimes there's no timeline he's coming back one day he's gone for another two weeks um it was it was tough on us because he was such an emotional leader for us he won the con smite the year before I think it was 2011 now that I start telling the story but uh it kind of wore on us throughout the season and um it took a lot out of us to kind of play without him to get into the playoffs. He eventually did come back, but we weren't quite the same. But I don't know. I look at Anders Lee being out, and maybe that's going to push Barzell to be that much better of a player to to kind of realize, man, I got to do this by myself, so to speak, and and play that much better. Yeah, if if that's even possible for Barzell. 
playing even better. I just remember from my own personal experience broadcasting the Boston Bruins and their 2011 championship team uh, when Nathan Horton went down for the Bruins. And I mean, everybody in Boston was thinking this team could win a Stanley Cup there. They've got all the tools. They're well coached, et cetera. And then Nathan Horton goes down with a concussion, as you mentioned, Sharpie. You just don't know with them. And everybody thought, uh-oh, this could be it. But somehow the team found a way to rally around it. You had the, you know, the sprinkling of the water from Boston out there in Vancouver. <laughs> and, uh, and lo and behold, the Bruins end up going on to win the Cup. So, But so here's, here's a question, though, sorry, just to throw into this, too, is what about Tampa? You've had Kucherov out the whole season. True. Yeah. And when he comes back, does that disrupt what you've got, what you've got going on? Like, cause that can, that can be the case too. You found this chemistry. The team has found their groove. They're playing at an incredibly high level, dominating the league again. I mean, it's, it's a worth the thought, right? Does that yeah. disrupt what's going on? Even a player of that caliber? Yeah. It sounds like a perfect scenario. He's just going to come back and pick up where he left off, but there will be an adjustment period for sure for Cooch coming back, not only by himself to get his legs under him to, get his timing back, but they've also had players playing in that position all season long, and Tampa looks pretty good to me. So I think they'll be okay when I watch Tampa play <laughs> these days. It's like their details are on point. They can play any way you want to play. If you want to have a run-and-gun type game, they probably won't let you get into one of those, but they can do that. And what I've really noticed with them, and probably why they won the Stanley Cup last year, is in these one-goal games, Tom, they just take it to another level. They can shut games down. And if it's a tie game, they're going to have find somebody in that roster that's going to score. So I got a feeling that when Cooch comes back, they'll, they'll slot him in there at position 1A on the right side, and, and the power play will be that much better, and, and we'll all just be talking about how good Tampa is yet again. <laughs> yeah, that sounds yeah. about right. Rinse and repeat, re-rack our comments from last, uh, <laughs> last playoffs in the bubble. Well, since we're talking about some offensive players, guys, um, you know, obviously we've been talking on air a lot about the Hart Trophy conversation and the players that are in the mix. And obviously Patrick Kane is in the mix, but he did mention to the media last week when he was asked the question if he should be considered for the Hart Trophy conversation, he said, I don't think anyone's going to really touch McDavid this year. He is just head and shoulders the best player in the league. Obviously, we know Patrick Kane, Sharpie, you said on the air, no, Kane thinks he's the best player in the league. But I do want to take a look at the current Hart Trophy odds presented by PointsBet. And you can see that Connor McDavid at minus 300, Austin Matthews after him, and then it becomes Patrick Kane. So I'm curious to get your guys' thoughts, who you think is going to take home this award in the Hart Trophy conversation. These ones are always tough for me because I'm not really sure, like, how people – well, we know how it gets selected. Everybody votes on it in the media. Um, and what is it though? Is it most viable to your team? Is it the most impressive season? I usually say like the team has to be tied to the player's performance in some way. So if Edmonton gets in, which it looks like they will, it's tough to take it away from McDavid because he's just been not only the best player to watch offensively, uh, he's without him. I don't think Edmonton is that dangerous to play against. So he would be the front runner for me. I like what Austin Matthews is doing, but along the same lines with Chicago, and Patrick Kane. Um, who would you have at the start of the year finishing higher in the standings, Edmonton or Chicago? You know, so Chicago I mean, I, is such a long shot of getting in. Yeah. If Kaner continues to do what he's doing, maybe he's in there. But I tend to agree with Kaner that if things kind of finish out the way they are, that it will be McDavid's award. But once again, in my argument with Jared Bednar and those Colorado Avalanche dudes up there, what about Nathan McKinnon? Isn't he pretty viable to that team? Every time I watch them play, I know they have depth, but he's the centerpiece of the team and everything kind of falls into place from there. So who, so who knows? We'll see what happens. <laughs> who knows? <laughs> I mean, it's, 
It's a valid question. And, and just to play devil's advocate about Kane, I mean, obviously it's tough to take it away from McDavid, but if you think about it, most valuable to their team, you look at Edmonton, you've got a dynamic duo with Dreisaitl and McDavid. You look at Toronto, you've got a dynamic duo with Marner and Matthews. Kane, we can't say that right now. I mean, Pia Suter coming over from Switzerland, he's not at the level of Barner or McDavid. So I think what, what Kane has done in Chicago is truly special this year and deserves to be in that conversation. And Alex DeBrink is screaming at the podcast right now. Yeah, so yeah I was thinking that. Wow, well, he, he's <laughs> phenomenal too, obviously. That goes without saying. But, I mean, I just think that the level that these guys are at, and I, I think Kane brings that line up to another level. Debrinket yeah. is phenomenal. Don't get me wrong about that for sure. Yeah, I but agree on his you, own, when you measure up Debrinket with a guy like a Marner or a Leon Dreisaitl, I mean, it's a bit different, right? Those guys can kind of stand alone as well. No question Debrinket would be able to if given the opportunity, but at the moment, it seems like it's Patrick Kane kind of carrying Debrinket through this. And that line, as you mentioned with Pew Suter, has been outstanding, and it's led by Patrick Kane. So... Uh, I'm going to change my vote for the Hart Trophy. I'm going to give it to Alex Debrinket this year. <laughs> <laughs> How many appearances do you have coming up in Chicago? You got to butter up the talk, right? Cat for MVP. That's my guy. <laughs> Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Sharpie's thing. <laughs> Future income coming up. Uh, okay, so let's get to a team that's been playing really well that I know Sharpie has a, a love for at the moment. It's the New York Rangers. And they're in the mix for that final spot in the East, just looking as we record today. They're even in points with the Flyers, but they're just a few off of that fourth and final playoff spot held by the Boston Bruins in the East. Um, Dom, I'll ask the former Ranger, you know, can this team get into the playoffs? Well, if you look at the goal differential in the standings, it would suggest that they should be. Uh, they're, they're plus 18. Philly is the team in front of them. They're minus 23. Um, obviously, Boston's plus 10, and they're right there. But Boston has really been struggling. Uh, part of that goal differential for the Rangers is the games against Philly. Um, but Philly just seems to be in a total state of disarray. Um, no one really knows how to you know, dissect what's going on there. The Rangers have just been steadily picking up steam. It's kind of mirrored the season that Mika Zibanejad has had. As he started to pick up his game, the team has found their game. You know, for the first couple of months, they, I don't think, had their full roster for any game. You know, one, one player would come back and then another would go out. And COVID and injuries and, and uh, you know, Shesterkin was out for a while. And so I think if they can get everybody healthy, uh, let's not forget their coaching staff was out for a while. 
they yeah. can get everybody healthy and on board. I think they, they have a real shot. For me, the biggest thing is whether Boston can right the ship. And they've really been up and down lately. Um, you know, we'll p- possibly see something from them at the deadline that could help them. But uh, I think it's between those two teams, Sharpie. Yeah, I think Boston should trade back for Zdeno Chara. That might help them get in the playoffs. <laughs> I'm just or looking Corey at the Cruz, Rangers. They lost some key defensemen for sure. Yeah. And it's tough to recover when you lose two guys. Uh, that means so much to your team on and off the ice like that. But Boston's uh, got a good squad. I'm looking at the Rangers' schedule here. I see a lot of New Jersey. A couple games against Buffalo, some Islanders a bit. Philly, we know how they play against them. But they finished the season in Boston with a two-game set. And wouldn't that be nice if those points really mattered? Uh, Rangers versus Boston to finish the regular season. I like the Rangers, and whether they make the playoffs or not, uh, I'll be keeping my eye on this team next year and the year going years going forward. Maybe three to five years. This looks like a team that has a real crack at winning the Stanley Cup. We know about the rebuild. We know we we're all going to give them some time to get their stuff together. But now we're starting to see uh, the potential in this team. And you you said it, Dom's advantage ads kind of driving the ship there. You got Panarin and Strom on another scoring duo. Uh, I like this Lafreniere kid. I think he can get better and he will get better. So when his development gets to, you know, max potential or close to it, that's when the Rangers will really be cooking. Kako's finally earned some more responsibility playing on the second line with Strom uh, and Panarin. Uh, And our guy, Adam Fox, on the back end. I know he's getting a lot of positive press. I haven't heard anybody say one bad thing about him. But Mm -hmm. when you watch him play, it's it's his decision-making. It's his composure under under pressure situations. He just seems to make the right decision every time. He's not always going to make a perfect play and and have a goal or an assist or a breakaway pass. But he's making the right decisions every single time out there. For a young defenseman, that's impressive. Secondary deep pair is a little bit more physical with Truba and Miller. They got the goaltending. And they're all kind of coming up together, feeling this rush, uh, getting better together as an organization. I would hope that MSG could be packed for them one day. Dom, you probably know better <laughs> than anybody what it's like to play in front of that crowd at home in that building. Maybe that's what puts this team over the edge. So to answer your question in a long answer, KT, yeah, I do think the Rangers are getting in this year and they're going to knock Boston out. I mean, can you imagine how good wow. they'd be if, if, if Kako and Lafreniere start to – find their dominant form and not, you know, take some players longer, right? No, not everybody can come into the league like McDavid and just dominate right away. Um, you know, every player is different, how they adjust. And um, for me though, the biggest question is on D Sharpie, you know, the depth, the depth in those pairs, I think they struggle against top lines uh, some nights and, and that if you've got talented forwards like, like Panarin and these, you know, Kreider and guys up front, Zibanejad, you need to get the puck in their hands and Fox is definitely doing that. Um, but I think as you go down the D pairs, I think they, they're not kind of getting the puck into the hands as quickly as they should. Fox is just phenomenal. I, I had a chance to skate with him uh, for four months back in 2018 and see him when he was Oh, here college. we go, KT. Here comes the and, Harvard buddies talking. To you and right any chance I can get to, to, <laughs> to pump Foxy's tires. I mean, as you mentioned, no one says a bad word about him because he's a great kid. And, and awesome that he's got to play for his, the team he rooted for as a kid. Yeah, I think but, that's so cool. Just the, the way he thinks the game is at another level, um, and he's a completely unique player than what we've seen in that position in quite some time. Yeah, he's been a fun player to watch. I had, I had a chance, Dom, not to one-up you, to um, <laughs> do an off-the-ice shoot with him just before the shutdown. We went to the Intrepid Museum in New York City, 
And I just found it so neat to pick his brain about what it was like, you know, growing up, his dad's a season ticket holder for the New York Rangers. So there's a lot of pressure that comes with that when you get to play for your hometown team. But also, I mean, he has just thrived in that role. And how exciting that he gets to skate on the ice at Madison Square Garden every night um, for the team that he grew up rooting for. Just a Long Island kid across the way there, a uh, short distance away from MSG. And I just think it's a great story. And he's just been able to carry all the weight of this team, the pressure, everything um, in stride. So maybe it has something to do with Harvard. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was funny when I first met him all he, all he wanted to ask about was you know the Rangers team's 2014 our run to the finals and because he was such, he's such a huge Ranger fan and you know those were meaningful memories for him so I think it's just awesome that he's, he's living like um, I was just a little boy watching you growing up <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly exactly I think oh, there's something funny. to that Dom I like talking to the younger players that are coming into the league and the guys that have no interest in talking about hockey whether it's the current teams whether it's the playoffs of years past those guys I don't know they're a certain type of player and then you have those guys that just love the game you can tell they've been a huge fan growing up they're excited to be in the league they're eager to learn they want to get better I love talking to players like that coming in the league and it's funny how yeah. those guys end up lasting longer and turning oh, yeah. themselves into their best players yeah that's well well said Sharpie the love for the game is probably the most important ingredient um if I was a scout that would be what I would look for yeah. uh, first and foremost before I move on from the Rangers just quickly guys with that trade deadline coming up next Monday I mean is this a team that needs something do they stay put I mean you hate to disrupt a good thing as we were talking about earlier Dom but you know, on paper, what are they going to be looking for next week? The, the Rangers? Or, yeah, or, Rangers. I, I think it's on D. Um, I just think that Miller has, has done really well for his, his inaugural season. He's, he's played against uh, some really top players on a nightly basis, getting a ton of minutes. But, you know, him and Truba, you know, I think are solid defensive pairing, but they've looked a little bit over their head at times against the very top lines. And so – I think they need help back there. Just having, especially if, if someone goes out in that top four group, I think they could really use someone back there that's, you know, really going to be able to distribute the puck, get it up ice, um, and, you know, help Fox out. Because Fox is playing, you know, half the game pretty much. I don't think when they brought, brought him in, they expected him to be on the penalty kill the way he is. You know, they, I think they thought he was going to be mostly offensive. And so if they could – lighten his load or support him in that way I think that would go a long way but whatever they do or decide to do it's important I think they know it they don't need to hear it from me it's the future is what's important whether they get in the playoffs and win the cup this year that's a long shot I think they know it uh, they're playing for two three four years down the road so whatever they bring in they want to make sure they keep what they have and don't let any valuable pieces that are going to help them out down the road disappear it's time for the cold brew check fueled by Duncan. And guys, uh, I'll start with you, Dom. Who gets the last playoff spot in the West? It's a tight race out there. Is it the Blues, the Coyotes, the Sharks, or the Kings? Well, I, I still think it's going to be the Blues. Um, the thing is, they've just been completely decimated by injuries all season long. Uh, Craig Bruby has talked about he's never seen anything like it before in his entire career playing or coaching. And it's true. I mean, they, they've just been absolutely crushed. Uh, and they still have guys, you know, Colton Pareko is their most important defenseman and he's out for, you know, indefinitely. Um, so 
I just find that I, I keep waiting for that. It's amazing that they're actually still in the hunt, in my opinion, the way they are. Um, they finally got Bennington locked up. So that contract situation is behind them. Uh, I think it's a resilient group. There's still a lot of uh, players from that Stanley Cup team. I think they're going to figure it out. Um, I think that the California teams are really in a transition mode and, and just not ready to challenge for that spot. Um, and I think the Coyotes are there, but I think the Blues have more of a winning mentality, winning culture uh, that's been there for a few years now that'll get them through. Yeah, tough to argue with St. Louis. Is there another team in the league that took it off the chin harder than the St. Louis Blues when this we go back to March of 2020? They won the Stanley Cup the year before. They were in first place, ready to roll and defend their title, and then they just didn't look the same in the return to play last year, and the injuries this season have been a joke, really, when you look at it, but uh, Arizona holding down the fourth spot right now. They don't seem to get any respect uh, league-wide, and they're not going to get any from me. They're not going to be in the top four. Um, the bottom two teams right now, the Kings and the Ducks. I like the Kings' future. I think they got some real good players there. We've covered them a lot at NBC, and they've got a fast team. Their veteran guys are holding the fort, but I don't think they have enough to get in. I'm going off the board with the San Jose Sharks. And um, I don't know why. I just feel like these guys on the team, there's some veteran guys that have are going to rely on their experience down the stretch. And they've been playing strong hockey as of late. Is Marty Jones the guy? Probably not the number one guy I'd pick to be my goaltender going in. But I believe the veteran Marty Jones is going to get it done down the stretch and they're going to sneak into the playoffs. Uh, just to touch on the on the Yotes quickly, I think Tockett does a phenomenal job. It's just the depth in that group is just not there, in, in my opinion. That was the cold brew check fueled by Duncan this season. Be sure to grab a cold brew for game time because where there's hockey, there's Duncan. Guys, we talked about the trade deadline coming up next week, just one week from when we are recording this podcast right now. So I'm sure general managers are very, very busy. Dom, you talked about it last night on the air, how challenging this year is for general managers. I mean, there's no question between all the added elements off the ice they have to deal with. They've got to deal with border restrictions with Canada, making a trade with those teams. There's just so much to look at. But when you look at the teams, all of that aside, that need to make a trade the most, who are you looking at, Dom, right off the bat? To me, it's Boston. Uh, they, you know, they've, they, they're, you know, they've had a good start to the season. They're yeah. right up at the top. And then, the, you know, last month or so, they've just been up and down and mostly down, to be honest. They've struggled to score goals when you get outside the, the top line. Um, you know, Sharpie mentioned earlier that they, they need Chara back. You mentioned that, uh, KT that they lost Tory, and, you know, Matt Grizzlick and Charlie McAvoy are, are outstanding defensemen, but they're different players than Tory. and Tory, and Tory is severely missed in that group. Um, so I still, I still think they really need help both at, at the defense position and at forward at defense. It's someone that can kind of fill in, you know, right behind McAvoy and Grizzlick and be that that reliable two-way defenseman. Um, a lot of people were talking about Ekholm and Nashville, but now Nashville's, you know, contending for a playoff spot. So who knows what they'll do. Um, but up front, they, they need help too as well, um, just to find ways to score more goals. You can't, you can't be a one-line team and get into the playoffs, let alone compete in the playoffs. And this is a team that has a closing championship window. Uh, you know, Patrice Bergeron not getting any younger as we know. And so, they have to be all in, I think, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree 100%. They got to catch Pittsburgh, New York, and Washington or compete with them if they do get into the playoffs. 
and my Rangers are coming at their heels right now. So I would think Boston needs to add something uh, at the deadline. I like it. It's funny that we're saying they need to add a defenseman after losing Krug and Chara, but maybe that's a direction that they go Philly. I don't know where they stand as far as their roster. If they're, they can't be too pleased with how the season kind of took a 180 on them. Maybe they try to solidify the back end. It's funny how everybody's looking for, oh, this team just needs a top four defenseman. I mean, every team in the league wants a top four defenseman. I think that's why Ekholm's name was was so popular a couple weeks ago. And who knows, maybe that's why the Nashville Predators started playing better and kind of woke it up a little bit here in the last few weeks because they heard all these teams around the league uh, picking and choosing who they were going to get at the deadline. So trade deadline is not always the most fun time of year for, for players. I didn't really like it. I was uh, glad it, when it was over and I could focus on the stretch drive, whether it was trying to get in the playoffs or trying to gear up for a big playoff run. So we'll see how it all plays out here with this crazy year that we got going on. Yeah, along those lines, Sharpie, I know, um, you know, so many players are thinking about that trade deadline in one week, and there's just so many factors to consider. I mean, if you both were playing this season, would you even want to be traded, given the circumstances off the ice that are going on? Yeah, I mean, it, de it depends what team I was on and, and where I'd be going. Uh, at the start of this thing, I would have liked to be traded to an Arizona or a San Jose or Anaheim. <laughs> start the better. season in January with some sunshine. That would have been nice, but... Um, you know, I, deadline time is, is a tricky one. If, if you're getting moved, uh, chances are you're going to a team that has hopes on winning the Stanley Cup or getting into the playoffs. And that's a lot of fun to be a part of. So I'd be excited wherever they ship me. Yeah, I mean, it just I think it just entirely depends on the situation. A guy like, you know, Eric Stahl is probably ecstatic to be in Montreal right now, an opportunity to compete in the Stanley Cup playoffs, um, you know, for – who knows, this might be his last chance, right? And he, he went from a really, really difficult situation in Buffalo. That had to be miserable going through what they went the last few months. So, But then there's other guys that maybe, you know, you look at a guy like Ekholm or something. He's been in Nashville for a long time. He's probably got, you know, good community ties there. His family's, you know, maybe entrenched there and he doesn't want to move at all. So it's very personal um, and then, as you mentioned, Katie, all these other kind of outstanding circumstances that are unique to this pandemic environment. Don, let me ask you for some good stories, because I know you were traded at the deadline. Was it <laughs> just once were you traded at the deadline? Uh, no, I think twice. Uh, you know, one of the stories that comes to mind is pretty funny, actually. I was, I was in Tampa, and we had gotten to uh, the conference finals in 2011. You mentioned the Bruins championship year. We lost in game seven, one nothing to them uh, that year in the semifinals. And um, the next year we just struggled. We couldn't find our game. And so as Sharpie said, it becomes a very uneasy time as a player. Um, and especially when you're, you know, I was, my, my deal was expiring. Uh, and so I knew that I was a, you know, my, I had a, my contract was somewhere that could fit into uh, many teams and so you know I knew that it, I was likely gonna have my name called and so I was I was after warm-ups actually we were playing the San Jose Sharks in Tampa and after warm-ups we're re getting ready to go out on the ice and uh, Steve Eiserman, uh Guy Boucher came in and, and told me that I had gotten traded and I had gotten traded to San Jose and so <laughs> oh they God. were literally down the hall and so I thankfully I didn't play the game, but I, I did literally walk down the hall in my you know, kind of base layer uh, <laughs> stuff and go meet meet the new GM Doug Wilson and uh, flew out with them the next day. So it, it just things can happen quick.
That exact same thing happened to the Hawks. Uh, my first year there in 2006 with Jim Dowd. You remember that old veteran guy, oh, Jim yeah. Dowd, that played forever? He was on our team in, um, in Chicago. Took morning skate at the United Center. We were playing Colorado that night. He went home to the suburbs to have his nap and his pregame meal. Woke up, had been traded to the team we were playing that night. Drove back <laughs> to the United Center, went to the visiting locker room and played against us. So that was, that was probably my Crazy. funniest memory of, of the deadline deal. That was the year that we were out of the playoffs by Christmas time. We had all these veteran guys, and they all got traded uh, at the deadline, one by one. And we moved like five or six guys, and we played the game with – with 10 forwards and I was getting all kinds of ice time. I thought, this is awesome. I trade deadline the best. Now I get Great everybody. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Well, it's certainly going to make our podcast next week interesting because I know a lot is going to unfold in the next seven days and uh, we'll be able to recap it all next week and see, you know, we'll have a, probably a different conversation to talk about who are the contenders now with the uh, additions and subtractions from lineups at that trade deadline. I find it to always be an exciting time of year, but I'm not on the ice. I don't have to worry about uprooting my family and going to a different city. <laughs> you guys are stuck with me. I'm not getting traded anytime soon. So, <laughs> Well, we can talk next week, KT, about Debrinket and his charge towards the heart trophy. That's right. There you go. I love it. I love it. Hey, what if we didn't even talk about goalies can win the heart too. So, hey, what about Vasilevsky? Uh, or, you know, I think there's probably a few goalies that could make an argument. What about Kevin Lankin and Catherine in Chicago? Yeah, 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 you got it. I mean. <laughs> oh, here he goes again. Chicago. Duncan Keith should win the Norris, I think. That would be my vote for Norris. Dunks. Um, Selkie, I'll give to Carl Soderberg from the Hawks. My favorite award. My favorite award. <laughs> He's giving it to me about the Harvard connection. This is just the, the Blackhawks hour here. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll have to get some UVM conversation in here next time. Oh, Thanks now you're targeting. Yeah, awesome. Well, it's been fun catching up with you guys. Uh, another week of Our Line Starts, and we'll look forward to seeing everybody next week for Our Line Starts, fueled by Duncan. Thanks for joining us. Let's jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig. Inspiring kid confidence.